Well, today we get to talk about tithing. This should not be a surprise. I've said multiple times that I will give you two tithing homilies each year, once for parish stewardship in November and once for the annual Catholic appeal in the spring. So this is the spring one. My message has not changed. As I've said three times before, our tithing is a lot less about the worthiness or need of the causes and a lot more about our spiritual health. Money can be a powerful, corrupting influence. And in order to prevent that corrupting influence from growing in our hearts and leading to greed or possessiveness, we have to give our money away. To give away the first part of our income is a reminder that it is not ours. It is a gift from God intended for holy use. Much of that holy use is for our family and our life. But giving away the first percentage of it is a reminder that it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God and his purposes. So tithing is important because it helps us keep greed at bay and not get attached to our money. The way I do it is the way I recommend everybody does it. You take a percentage of your income. So hopefully we've all just done our taxes. We know what our income is. You take a percentage of it, and you just commit to giving that percentage away. A lot of our evangelical brothers and sisters, the non-denominational churches, they are very explicit that they expect their people to give 10%, not just away, but to the church. Catholics, I doubt any of us are giving 10% to the parish. I'm giving, I think, 11% away, but it's not all going to the parish. So anyway, you pick a percentage, you give that percentage away, that's what matters. When you determine where the money should go, which is a secondary consideration, I use the rule of thirds. I give a third to my parish, I give a third to my diocese, and I give a third to other worthy causes. I think Father Scott's rule was 50-50. You give 50% to the parish and 50% to other worthy causes, which includes the archdiocese. However you do it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we have a habit of giving our money away. Now, you've heard me say that before. New content. First, let's talk about the annual Catholic appeal. I think the way we approach the annual Catholic appeal is silly, and I don't like it. Now, that's not to say I think the ministries are silly. I think the ministries are incredibly important. The diocesan programs for youth and young adult ministry, for pastoral care, prison ministry, hospital ministry, the things that they do to educate seminarians and to support priests, all of that is incredibly important and needs to be funded. But the list of things that we get from the diocese that we're supposed to do is exhausting. They're like, well, the pastor should preach a homily, and then you should have two different guest speakers, and in the weeks between the guest speakers, you should, you should mention it at the end of Mass, at the announcements, and have people fill out cards, and you should put it in the bulletin for seven weeks, and you should be sending out a gazillion different mailings. 
I'm exhausted every year when I see it. And I'm, I thank God for Karen Zuther because I just delete the email and say, she'll deal with it. But the reason I think it's silly is these are annual and important expenses. These ministries matter. And we're going to fund them every year and we're going to make this ask every year. It shouldn't be our entire focus for six weeks. It's, it's a normal request. Keeping our parishes open is a normal request. Funding our diocese is a normal request. We don't have to be kitschy. We don't have to have all of these, you know, incentives and talks. I'll mention it once in a homily. We're going to call it good. I will send out some letters. I always forget. So this is the first year ever I have given to the appeal before I preach on it. Usually I forget for like a month and a half. And then I'm on mailing number three and I'm like, oh yeah, I should deal with that. So we'll do the mailings, but but otherwise, this is this is the last time you're really going to hear about it at church, except maybe a before mass announcement that's real quick. I think we can get away with it because we did last year. I was very proud of our community last year. I did the same thing. I really didn't emphasize this thing. It's just a normal expense, and we met our goal and went over by five thousand dollars, which is incredible because the year before that we. We were under our goal by $6,000. And when we're under our goal, I have to write a check from the parish budget to make up the difference, which I did not like doing. So I was very impressed with this. Last year, by not talking about it, you were even more responsive. And I've mentioned this to the diocese multiple times, that I think my approach is better than theirs, but they don't like it when I say that. But my argument is, if you treat people like adults, they'll act like adults. So I'm not going to beg or nag unless I have to write that check again and then I'll beg or nag. But that's, we're not going to do that. We're going to be fine this year. Okay. That's all I need to say about, well, I'm sorry, practicalities. I keep forgetting this at the previous homilies. Practicalities. You will have already received a letter from the Archbishop. That's what I responded to this year. Um, We'll send an email out from the parish. If we don't have your email, you will get a physical letter. If you don't get either of those, we have envelopes in the gathering space. Okay. When I use these homilies, I like to talk about spiritual principles. I think that's the more important thing. Practicalities aside, I've mentioned the annual appeal. You're all adults. You see the need. You will respond to the need. Let's talk about some spiritual principles. This year, what I really want to engage with is what do we do when we are mad with the archdiocese? Or with the Vatican. I'll use them as an example, too. Their, their appeal is called Peter's Pence. We do that in a different season, but that's how the Vatican is funded. Anyway, we continue to have the long-term anger about the sex abuse crisis. This is justified anger. We should continue to have it. We could, should continue to push for things like accountability and safety. Um, I am proud of our archdiocese. We were on the ball much faster than most dioceses. We started working on this in the mid-80s, and a lot of dioceses didn't start working on it until the early 2000s. So we've done better, which is not to say we've done great. But anyway, that anger persists. In addition, the Vatican, over the last year and a half, has been revealed to just have massive financial malfeasance. There are some key actors who acted poorly, but just... Just all of this money that was misspent by the Vatican. And it's starting to look like, it. I mean, it's almost how the mafia uses money. There's just a lot of money laundering involved and, and nepotism and favoring your friends over like no bid, or this bunch of no bid contracts. Or I mean, it's just really, it's ugly. So there's anger over that. And then when COVID happened, 
I heard a lot of anger from people about how the bishop responded. There was a lot of anger about shutting down masses. Uh, there was a lot of anger about the different decisions he, he made and continues to make about reception of communion on the hand versus the tongue, about reception from the chalice, about all sorts of other things. I understand that there is anger out there. And I, again, I don't think this anger is unjustified. The question is, what do we do with that, particularly when the priest gets up and asks for money for the diocese? How do we engage with that? Well, for me, if tithing is a spiritual practice that helps us keep greed at bay, tithing to the church, even when we are disappointed in the church, is a spiritual practice that helps us keep infidelity at bay. What do I mean? What I mean is that I think one of the greatest threats to Catholicism in the United States is the attitude of consumerism. If I go to a store, if I go to JCPenney's, and they don't have the pants that I want, I walk over to Macy's without any guilt. Macy's has what I want, I go over there. That's consumerism. In a market economy, it's appropriate. Our economy is driven by consumerism. Okay. But that attitude, that economic attitude, makes its way into the church. So if you are mad at the pastor of Assumption, what do you do? Well, you go to Sacred Heart. And if you're mad at the pastor of Sacred Heart, what do you do? Well, you go to Assumption. It's kind of this attitude that's been present in Bellingham since 1905. Not ideal. Now, it's not the worst thing in the world. People have liturgical preferences. They have preferences on preaching style. You know, and especially if the pastors are staying there for 10 years, I can see an argument for saying, okay, well, I'm going to stick with this pastor for 10 years. You're not, you're not really consumerist if you make a long-term commitment. But even so, that attitude is still possible. This idea that we'll just jump ship when we have something we don't like. That's consumerism. And it doesn't matter so much with liturgical preferences or preaching preferences, but we have to be very careful with that attitude because if it's unchecked, it will lead to infidelity to the church. It leads to the attitude of saying, well, okay, I don't like this liturgy, so I'll go elsewhere. I don't like this homily, so I'll go elsewhere. I don't like this doctrine, so I will go elsewhere. It leads to choosing what we like and what we don't like about the faith, making ourselves and our preferences the standard for all truth and all experience. And that's an attitude that worries me. Because if we have that attitude, we can't be challenged to grow. Using the liturgical example, which again is not the worst thing in the world, but let's say a pastor comes in, let's just blame Sacred Heart. They're not here, I can blame them, that's fine. Let's say somebody comes into Sacred Heart and changes everything right away. Well, maybe there are reasons for that. You know, maybe that priest knows something about the needs of the community, or he knows something about the teachings of the church, or whatever, right? There's a reason why he made that change. If our impulse is immediately to jump ship and come over to Assumption, which is fine, I love you, but like if that's our impulse, then how will we ever change, or how will we ever grow? How can we ever be challenged? And again, with liturgy, it doesn't matter so much. But with doctrine, it does. If the church says something that we struggle with, we should live in that struggle. That struggle is important, because the church never says anything without a good and solid reason to say it. And so if we don't engage with that reasoning, and we just say, well, I don't like it, I'm going to ignore it, 
That's a really dangerous attitude. So tithing, even when we're disappointed with the church, fights that attitude. It says, even if I'm mad about something, and like these decisions by the Archbishop about COVID, even if I'm mad about these decisions, is it to the level that I am going to cut the Archbishop off completely? Is it to the level that I'm going to jump ship and not engage? Let me use another example. Consumerism. Pants. Don't like what I see at pennies, I go to Macy's. Fine. What is the level at which we would cut off our family, or we would jump ship from our family? How mad do I have to be, for example, at my mother before I say, I will not support her in her old age? What's that level? The difference between the level we have for stores and the level we have for family is night and day. There are reasons why people don't have contact with their parents or don't support them. Sometimes people are so manipulative or toxic. Sometimes people steal money from their family members. You have to cut them off. It happens, but it's very, very rare because the standard for supporting family is not, I like everything my family has ever done for me. It's not, my family has never made me mad. The standard for supporting family is we support our family unless there are deep and grave reasons to the contrary. My hope is that we as Catholics would approach the church more like a family than we would a store. That we would engage with our archbishop and our pope more like we would with our father than we would with like a waiter at a restaurant. That's my hope. Because that attitude of fidelity, even when we're disappointed, or even when we're struggling, or when we're challenged, that attitude of fidelity, even in temporal things, things that don't seem to matter as much, breeds an attitude of fidelity in difficult things, things of faith. It teaches our heart not to abandon things when we struggle, or, for example, not to feel abandoned when we struggle, not to feel abandoned by God if we're not happy with him for a moment. It's a very important spiritual virtue to build. To talk about the scriptures for a second. The gospel is, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we will only have life in us as the branches if we are connected to the vine. That's the only way we'll have life. Now, we all have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's important. It's important that we are able to pray directly to Jesus, that we're able to converse directly with Jesus. But we do not approach things as our Protestant brothers and sisters do. I cannot have a relationship with Jesus Christ without also having a relationship with his followers. As Catholics, our worship is always communal. It's always communal. We always approach worship in the church, in the community of believers. We cannot be connected to Jesus without also being connected to those who love Jesus. So, when we ask ourselves questions about our archbishop or our pope, the question is, can I be connected to the vine of Jesus while completely cutting myself off from my shepherds? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think we have to be in communion with our Pope and our Bishop in order to be in communion with Jesus, in order to be connected to that vine. 
So, to connect it back to tithing. Our second reading, the first letter of St. John, he says we should approach God not just with words and speech, but in deeds and truth. If I say I'm in communion with my bishop and my pope, but I don't have any engagement with them at all, I don't support their ministries with prayer and with material support, am I actually in communion with my bishop or my pope, or is it just lip service? That's the challenge of St. John this morning. And then in the first reading, with St. Paul, nobody trusted him. Fair enough. He had been killing Christians, he had been arresting Christians, but then he had a conversion. But nobody trusted him. They thought he was lying to them. Until he preached powerfully in the name of Jesus. It was the deed, it was backing up his reported conversion with his deeds that made people trust him. Similarly for us, can we trust ourselves to be in communion with our bishop and our pope if we say, I won't have anything to do with the material? If we say, I'm not going to give them a cent. Are we really engaged with them? Do we really have deeds to back up the fact that we say, I'm still connected to the vine of the church? The last thing I'll say. I am not unsympathetic to the idea of reform in the church. As I actually told the Archbishop to his face a couple months ago in one of our meetings, I said, at heart, I am a revolutionary. The only reason I don't go crazy is because I have also bound myself to the church. Um, I know the code of canon law. I know the liturgical rubrics. I don't break those things. But within the space given to me, I like to take things down to their root. I like to ask, like, from the very basis, are we doing this right, or should I be a revolutionary and revolutionize that? That's who I am at heart. So I am not unsympathetic to church reform. I absolutely believe that the church is constantly in need of reform, and particularly the leaders of the church are constantly in need of reform. They constantly need to renew their fidelity to Christ. They constantly need to dedicate themselves to sanctity rather than to the things of the world. We have seen what corruption looks like in the hierarchy, and it makes us very sad. As a priest, one of the ways to talk about priesthood is as the friend of the bridegroom. So Christ is the groom, the church is his bride. As the friend of the bridegroom, I step in to take care of his bride, the church. So to think of the church as my bride, or as my best friend's bride, of course I want her to be holy. Of course I want her to be reformed. The question I want us to engage with, though, is, will reform happen just by cutting off the source of funding? If we say to our archbishop, I am not going to fund your ministries, I am not going to fund your work with our archdiocese, does that bring about reform? I don't think it does. I think it corrupts our hearts and does very little to reform the church. In the history of the church, all reform has come from saints. There has never been a period of reform in the church, and the church needs reform every hundred years or so. You see this up and down. You know, it's just sin, 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 reform, 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 sin, 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 sin. It's every century. There has never been a period in the church where the reform didn't come from saints. It is from the holiness of the people. And sometimes, God willing, the holiness of the hierarchy. But it's always the holiness of the people that brings reform in the church. 
If we are worried about our leaders and if we're worried about the church, the first thing we have to do is try to be saints. Because saints change the world. We just celebrated the feast day of St. Catherine of Siena. She brought the popes back from France. The pope was the bishop of Rome, and for a hundred years or so, they didn't live in Rome, they lived in France. And she's like, that's stupid. And they were living in decadence, and they were very comfortable, and Rome was falling to ruin. Catherine of Siena didn't have any power, she didn't have any office, she didn't have any money. She only had her sanctity. And through her sanctity, she convinced the Pope to leave all of the comfort of France and go back to Rome. The Church is reformed by saints. If every single person in the pews of the Archdiocese of Seattle was a saint, we would absolutely never have a sinner as a bishop. Right? But our hierarchs, your clergy, myself, we're always influenced by the people we serve. And the holier you are, the holier I am, because I'm inspired by your holiness. But if we all decide we're going to give ourselves over to the world and to the things that are not of God, we just leave ourselves in complacency. If we want to reform the church, we have to be saints. We have to be holy. And I assure you, I listen to saints. When somebody is faithful to the church and they make sacrifices for their faith, I always listen very attentively to what they have to say. Because they are who I want to be. Similarly, our bishop will always listen to saints. Our pope will always listen to saints. I don't think there's anybody more powerful in the 20th century in the church than Mother Teresa. You couldn't say no to her. She was too holy. She'd walk into your office, she'd ask for something. And even if bishops wanted to say no, they never did. Because she was a saint. Okay. Summary. When I don't preach with a text, it goes a little long. I'm sorry. Tithing is an important spiritual practice because it helps us fight greed. Tithing to the church, even when we are mad at the church, is not an admission that the church is fine and doesn't need reform. Tithing to the church, even when we are mad at the church, is good for us because it reminds us that the church is a family not easily to be abandoned, and that the church is something we want to be faithful to. We don't want to just pick and choose when we're happy. Tithing to the church, even when we're upset, is a powerful sacrifice that we make to remain, to maintain that unity given to us in the church by Jesus Christ.